Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman. This is episode 234. And again, a slightly different episode. I'm calling this one a tribute to Eddie Van Halen, but it is an interview. Um, I do chat with my friend Ben Fulton. He's a guitar player, he makes guitar pedals. Uh, He was a, a guest much earlier on the podcast, so I will link to that one if you want to hear specifically about his story. But it's not about him today, it's not about me, it's about paying tribute to Eddie Van Halen. Uh, last week we heard the news the in the way the world does now once it's out there it's shared so quickly um, it was about a week ago to the day that I um, <clears throat> pulled over and checked my phone read a tweet that someone had sent uh, pointing out that Wolfgang Edward Eddie Van Halen's uh, son had shared this message that his father had died of cancer now those of us who knew anything about Van Halen uh, over the last few years knew that Eddie had wrestled with cancer really across the last two decades of his life on and off and that in recent years he had withdrawn from many public outings and there hadn't been music in a while. Uh, But it was an incredibly sad passing. I mean, this is, I think, the greatest guitar player of of my lifetime. The, uh, the, The most important person to change the face of guitar playing, electric guitar playing, since Jimi Hendrix and one of the most influential in all time Um, It was a strange day, I played a lot of Van Halen music as a lot of people did, Um, I listened mostly to the instrumentals, I got home and had to interview someone else for the podcast so I had to sort of put all that aside and just get into a a really great conversation with someone else about another subject altogether and then I uh, turned my computer back on to uh, several messages including one from TV1 News crew, they wanted to come round and grab a soundbite from me which they did. And Ben wanted to come around and have a chat, which he did at the, you know, roughly the same time. So straight after talking to the news, we decided to put the microphones on and actually record this conversation. We thought, well, we'll share some thoughts about Eddie Van Halen and Van Halen's music and how how we found it, how it found us, and um, and just highlight some of some of that extraordinary playing. Now there, there's so many tributes have been and gone already. There'll be lots of other people that sat down and recorded thoughts. Uh, We weren't trying to do anything special, we were just trying to capture some thoughts in the moment. So this is the day we found out the news last week and this is our little tribute to Eddie Van Halen. So this morning I was driving along and I pulled over and um, saw the the tweet um, from Wolfgang about, about Eddie passing and within about 10 seconds of seeing it, I messaged you instead of you heard the news. And um, yeah, I mean, so I kind of broke the news to you, but it was breaking in the, in the sense that we we're all just learning it at the same time. Yeah, well, it was, a, a, I guess, as is the way now. With yeah, the, uh, that's right. Someone finds out she has it. And then it, and then it starts and it's just, rapidly. It's just a matter of when you turn your phone on or yeah. when you reach for it, yeah. But um, yeah, real um, shock and sadness for me, and I'm sure for you, I think, um, obviously in the last sort of five years or so, there hasn't been much from from Eddie, you know, mm. things have been very private, I think, because obviously he's been coping with an illness and wanted to keep that out of the public eye. But um, yeah, a lot of reflection, as I'm sure the case is for you as well, um, you know, for anybody who's ever picked up a guitar, whether it's the kind of music you like or not, you know, from everything from, uh, you know, uh, being a huge fan right through to just being able to go, well, this guy was remarkable, you know, um, and it, it, having paved the way for so much stuff that hadn't been done, um, you know, there's really, there was Hendrix that changed the, the you know, the um, game field for the electric guitar, 
it was before Hendrix and after Hendrix, and then again with um, Eddie Van Halen, you know, no one had brought together so many different things that were unique and innovative and delivered with such, you know, perfection mm. um, and, and on a first album as that first Van Halen album. And, um, you know, and, and, and a unique combination of things too that um, um, no one really followed sort mm. of afterwards either. You know, we were chatting a little bit earlier that, um, you know, he inspired so many guitar players. There are, you know, generations of guitarists have learned how to do an approximation of eruption and the finger tapping and all of that. And mm. and that whole 80s era of hair rock and so on, you know, Eddie Van Halen was the kind of the god of it. But it's funny because I think a lot of, you know, one of the things that Eddie Van Halen and the band Van Halen did is they wrote amazing songs and he was always in service to the song. Mm. And where I think a lot of guys sort of, and girls, uh, got caught up on was the, the technique and yes, the virtuosity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but the thing with Eddie was almost like a throwaway because it was yeah. about the song, you know, he the guys he loved, you know, played great guitar but they played in great bands and wrote great songs. Well, I, I, I wanna pick up on you saying about, you know, the Hendrix thing and then Van Halen and, and also the first album the first Van Halen album, a bit like the first Hendrix album, it hints at everything that's already there and, and is to come, but it doesn't spoil everything that's to come. You know, it's like a great... It's almost like, in this day and age, it would be like, follow me for more. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, so awfully, someone would yeah. be like, little teaser video, follow me for more of this. And they kind of laid that business card out yeah. on those albums. I think, you know, when you look at the track listing on that on that first album, you know, there's the, the cover in there, which Ted Templeton, the producer, you know pushed it to do and then in following albums as well and um but then of course there is eruption and like i think for you know the obviously lots of friends who play guitar and friends in the states are, are, are in the industry and musicians and a few people who you know were friends with eddie and had worked with them and so on but everyone universally you know there's a jaw drop moment where you know when that if you were of an age to be actually listening to the radio and so on at that time, mm. um, and you played an instrument, uh, played guitar, uh, and, and eruption comes on is just this question of what is this, you know? Um, it's like that. Uh, I think it was in Back to the Future. Is it that scene where Marty McFly puts mm. the headphones in the wall? Yeah, and it's, it it's eruption. Back. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think that's what it was. Yeah, because it is just such an otherworldly sound. Like no one had done that. You know, Hendrix had got feedback and all sorts of amazing sonic things and there was a breadth to his sort of thing which was you know psychedelic it was eddie was a harder rock sort of thing and yet you know it was just how do you get all those sounds mm. and and he was just such a you know a master and it's just so completely finished it's not like a you know oh, it's this is great wonder what happens you know where he goes from there it's like this offering was you know mm. here's something that no one else has ever done mm. and nothing has ever sounded like this before and you know the guitar changes from now on do you remember when you first heard van halen on any real level like maybe a moment of hearing a song on the radio or a particular album you know like a they're one of those bands for us. We we weren't consciously listening to music when the first album came out, so we caught up. But do you remember exactly being introduced to it? Yeah, well, I um, you know, there were obviously a few tracks which were on the on the on the radio and so on. Um, but I, I you know, I, by the time I started getting really into music, um, you know, I, I wasn't listening to all of the radio. Um, 
and it was the um, and I think it's the same thing as it was for you as that live without a net yeah um, VHS cassette of them in 1985 in um, New ha- Haven or New Haven <laughs> as they renamed yeah. it. And it was with um, a friend of mine, Mark Keys. He was really into all those sorts of players, and he had this. And I remember watching it and being amazed by it. But it wasn't until a couple of years later, because I was such a big Led Zeppelin fan and Jimmy Page fan, and uh, you know, it all seemed a little bit, you know, they were, the, the rock music was meant to be serious, you know. Mm-hmm. And it took a couple of years till my late teens, and and watching that video again, and just suddenly the penny dropped. It's like this is a direct connection to. Chuck Berry to Little Richard to rock and roll. Let's have a, the most important thing is let's have a good time, mm-hmm. and and so all the virtuosity is in service of these songs. Are like let's have a party. So you got David Lee Roth and then Sammy Hagar, and it's about having a great time and giving. And you know one of the the, the biggest takeaway for me with 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 Eddie Van Halen when I you know reflect on him and think about everything that he did with music. Is that there's always just this joy that comes out of um, of of what he plays, you know? There was an interview, uh, was a, uh, a quote from Jimmy Page I read years and years ago in the early '90s, and he was talking about Eddie Van Halen, and he just said, oh, "I wish I could smile like he does. He's always smiling." And like in that video, in that yeah. concert video, he's just having a Big great time. Grin pasted on the whole exactly. Time, he's just he's, he's not trying to sort of look yeah. cool on stage. No. He's just having a great time. And well, I wondered if he was actually like kind of deeply in on the joke as well and kind of sending up not himself but just going yeah this is big dumb fun and so this is the only way to go through it like I think so yeah I think I think because it's it's that fine line too of you you can't take the mickey out of your art but you also you know um, it's about like Chuck Berry and Little Richard it was about having a party but it was it was serious mm. but it wasn't taking yourself serious no I was just going to say you, you, you can either take yourself seriously or take your art seriously you shouldn't do both at the same yeah. time <laughs> you know well, it, can, think, it can fluctuate but you what, shouldn't be doing both at the same time when, when you look at the that concert um, the recording of that and then other clips yeah. of them playing and so on you know they were they, they you know were about having a good time and so on but they also they never lost oh, yeah. sight of the fact that they were there to put on a great show. Yeah, to perform, and to, it's to thing, nail it. Yeah, and it's the thing of like of realizing that it's an entertainment, and they understood. I think you know that they they were all middle class guys who'd come from yeah. that sort of thing. They'd gone along and seen Kiss. They'd gone on and seen bands, and they'd saved their money up and gone to the concerts, and and then you know a sort of thing. Uh, was an interview with 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 Eddie this morning, just a cl- snippet from it. We were talking about having gone and seen Aerosmith. And then a few years later, they were on tour with him and how it blew his mind. But they understood, you know, and, and the way that Van Halen started, which was obviously they had a band, they, they had to hire the PA, and then they heard about David Lee Roth, who had a wealthy lawyer father, and so he had his own PA, and cost, I think, cost 35 bucks to hire a PA, and they got paid 50 bucks to do the gig, so they figured they'd get David Lee Roth. Mm. And they put these, um, put these uh, parties on at the back of someone's house, and of course, these things became massive. And... That's how that whole sort of thing organically grew. But I don't think... I got the feeling that they, they, they probably, you know, at least for a decent chunk of time, that was always in their mind of, like, people have spent... You know, people go to work and they do their job and they earn their money and they're choosing to spend the money, so we've got to give them a good show. Mm. And that, to me, was like, you know, there, there wasn't... 
there's nothing self-indulgent, even in the guitar solo thing, which, you know, I think we've got an audio clip of, mm. um, where Eddie's just really letting it all flow. Um, he's smiling through it, you know? It's, it's a joyous thing. It's not like, look at me, look at me. It's yeah. just like, he's almost goofing around, and yet out it comes in. It's... Let's, let's pause for a minute and have a listen to a bit of that. Um, I mean, I love the fact that actually, like, the flashy guitar stuff is like a bag of tricks, and he, and I think that's another thing about the grin, is he knows when he's about to pull out the bag of tricks, and he knows you're going to enjoy it, mm. and he's going to help you enjoy it, you know, with the big grin and the great technique, like, he's, yeah. you know, he's, he's, he's taking you where he wants to take you. Yeah, I think the thing, too, with him is that, underneath that there's also this incredible capacity for discipline and attention to detail and focus because mm. the difference between a good guitar player and a great guitar player is always in that last five percent yeah which is always you know it's the 80 20 rule or whatever yeah yeah yeah. it's like he he incredibly talented incredible sense of time and rhythm you know god given but but the diligence and the discipline to put that work in and the thing with Eddie too, and I always giggled about this because I guess we'll get into talking about his sound, but there was also like, there was a bit of a mischief maker and he, and he liked being the magician and I wonder whether he got, you know, there's various people that have had that sort of approach. They don't want to give too much away. So, you know, he worked on, obviously he built up his own guitars and things to get them to do what he wanted them to do and with his sound and all this sort of stuff, you know, it, there was a lot of attention to detail, which was sort of, you know, so that he could appear effortless. You know, to, there's a story about how in an early guitar magazine, maybe Guitar World or Guitar Player interview, um, they'd talked to him about what he did to get his sound. You know, the, for the non-guitar, non-Van Halen fans out there, he his guitar tone was referred to as the brown sound because it was this particular warm, saturated sound. It wasn't fizzy. It was, you know, had an almost endless sort of a sustain to it. And he worked hard to get that. But um, in this interview, he was asked about it, and, and he told them that what he did was that he took his amplifier and he put it into a thing called a Variac, which is a device which allows you to adjust the mains voltage. So you plug the, the Variac into the mains and then your uh, appliance into the Variac, and you can reduce the voltage that the appliance, or the amplifier in this case, is seeing below what the mains is, say like, so in, so in the US it's 110 volts, so you could drop it down to say 90 volts, or you could boost it above that, so you could put it up to 130 volts, 150 volts. So in this interview, he went and said that what he did is to get his sound, he boosted the voltage going to the amplifier up, which is not true, he was reducing it, but all these guys going out there, one of the sound like Edwin Helen, <laughs> whacking the volume up, suddenly flames coming to these people's amplifiers and stuff, you know. <laughs> So he um, he was a bit yeah. of a mischief maker, but yeah. 
but I think you know, and he was, he, you know, he was. There's a story about um, when they were playing clubs before they'd got signed. Um, he, w- when he went to do the tapping thing, he would stand behind his amplifier, behind his stack, so that people couldn't see exactly what he was doing because mm, he knew it was mm, special, yeah. and he didn't want, you know, he didn't want people to sort of uh, to kind of like jump on the bandwagon because there were a lot of you know great guitar players around that time. Uh, in, in that scene, you know, the, mm. the, the biggest of which would have been Randy Rhodes. You know, they were contemporaries, but doing different things. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. But it was sort of that, you know, you couldn't go online and just find out how someone did something no. like a YouTube clip. No, you know? it was his. You know, so he. It was, I think, a very diligent and disciplined process to sort of develop what he did, and he did it quickly because he was so talented and over such a short period of time. But, but then it was that thing of once they got on stage it could just flow effortlessly yeah and yeah. Uh, they, all the energy could be spent on putting on a great show so you have this experience watching without a net and we you know and many people had this we basically like that is a kind of jaw drop moment for people because it's everything it's the visual aspect it's the and we're talking in a time when yes you can't just dial things up so mm. it was a ritual to watch the vhs tape and rewind yeah. it and i i remembered earlier today that it's the first time I tried to dub a copy of a videotape and failed and kept the copy that had no sound and still watched it for a bit and tried to in my mind go well this is the bit where he does this well I've I've, I've got I've got one one, parallel story to that is that I had the the VHS cassette that a friend of mine had given me and it was a stereo one and I worked out that like because I think I only had a mono VHS or it, but if I took the top off the VHS cassette thing and, and like the little head which reads the audio. If I if I dial a little tiny screw to put the um the head slightly out of alignment, you'd get rid of Sammy Hagar's guitar and you'd just, <laughs> just do Eddie Van Halen. So what I wanted to ask was did you f- just go back and find all the albums kind of thing? Like, did you go back to that first, you know, where did you head back to from there? Did you go to the first album or did you go to 1984 or, you know? Um, well, from that, as I say, I first saw that recording and, and appreciated it, but it wasn't for a couple of yeah. years till sort of maybe 17, 18. And then, and then it was, you know, then it was definitely, um, it was Van Halen 1, and uh, 1984. And I mean, they're the big ones for people. Like, yeah. uh, they are the ones with the most hits on them and they show you what needs to be shown. But yeah. there's magic in and around those, right? I, yeah. I also, but I remember I got um, 5150 and um, For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge yeah. on, on vinyl. So it was good to have, and it's funny because where I was at then, you know, quite enamoured with the early sort of stuff, the whole pop sensibility that sort of things lent to um you know i wasn't quite you know now i listen to those i think they're awesome um mm. but um the um yeah you know it's sort of it, it, that that first album because you know obviously it was a, over a decade since it had come out that mm. i was sort of encountering it um decade and a half um but going back there it was still you know it was so apparent why it would blow people's minds. You know, mm-hmm. Even even coming to it, for me, like I was coming to it after the 80s and after all of that stuff. Yeah. And it was, you know, again, as I said before, I think that a lot of that, a lot of the people that he inspired kind of missed the boat in, in the sense of they latched on the technical virtuosity of the yeah. guy. But, but, but 
forgot about the fact that the, he was an incredible rhythm player. Well, you've talked a little bit about the um, tone, but let's talk about the taste. Because that's an important thing too, of yeah. him as a player. like and Or that combination, you know, of, of not just being able to throw in this bag of tricks and continue to develop it. Because it does, you know, I remember uh, being astonished watching the Right Here, Right Now video, like around that time. Um, which is uh, essentially the, t- the tour for the um, Carnal Knowledge album. And they put out a videotape and a live album that's kind of like an updated version of mm. Without a Net. And the solo is different and there's new things happening. Yeah. You know, so he did he did update and evolve that bag of tricks. But, um, you know, where did the taste and the, and the tone and the talent all come from, apart from hours of working at it and absorbing music? Well, you know, you, you, you know this as well as, as I do. It's like, well, with anybody, you're a product of your influences. Mm. And um, you know, as as you'd see earlier today, you know the the uh, the Kinks cover on the first album. It's like um, he he as he as I said, you know, in this 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 interview that if, you know we were talking about having been at Eric, seeing Aerosmith, then a few years later they're they're on the tour with them and blew his mind. You know, he was a rock fan, and mm. I think you know, and I know this as a guitar player myself, and having met a few people that are you know have done some pretty amazing things. Um, on the instrument when you get chatting to someone who might you might regard as some as a legend or whatever the moment the conversation shifts over to the players they love suddenly all the facade drops away and, mm. and they're just like a kid like it's in that um and the it might get loud documentary there's that great scene where jimmy page is in his record room and he puts on the 45 of the yeah. rumble and there's jimmy page playing um air guitar along to the rumble and not only playing air guitar, but when it comes time for the tremolo on the, on the amplifier to be turned on, he reaches back to his air amplifier and turns up the <laughs> air tremolo. Right. And it's like, and he's so, he's like a kid. Yeah. And, I, and I think that's, you know, because that's, that's the thing I think which, which drives people to get really good is the, is the love. You know, it's like, it's that thing of, you know, it's not, if you love it, it's not work it. And so yeah, on, yeah, know, yeah. That, that, that. The things he put the time and effort into are the things that he loved. I think, as as with most people that are you know that have created something brilliant, and um, you can hear all that stuff. You know that he. he yeah, I you know, remember he, reading a Guitar World interview where he just um, was talking about Django, and it was like probably around that time there were a few of those sorts of stories going around, and I started listening to to, to not just Django but all of those. Early pioneers, Charlie Christian, and all those sort of names mm. that came up of all the and Les Paul, you know, these are the guys before, yeah. pre rock and roll and, and and so forth. So he, you know, he obviously did his listening the oh, whole time. Yeah. He grew up with this stuff, well, obsessed can, over it, and you can hear, yeah, you, you can, can hear, hear how how big his ears are mm. as well. You know, like that his his um, you know, his harmonic language and his rhythm playing, particularly. You know, it's like he didn't do just straight ahead chord voicings like he did sometimes, but but. It was always something interesting happening harmonically, and a lot of it was really subtle, but a lot of it was quite unique, and it certainly yeah. hadn't been put into a hard rock context. And you know, he obviously had huge ears. You you couldn't do what he did without just being like a sponge. And everything, you know, the guys you mentioned, you know, Les Paul. Um, there's the, the in various interviews he talked about how he'd uh, you know he'd learned every solo that Eric Clapton had done. Mm. You obviously you know an American a, an American kid growing up in LA in the seventies you know Led Zeppelin you know, would have been a big influence. Um, obviously that they they kiss that, yeah. that 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 you know um, 
all of those all of those bands but then also the Beatles you know obviously yeah, there's yeah. anybody that the Kinks the Beatles the yeah. pop stuff the, 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 the which English, has still got rock yeah um, and 60s. lots of guitar but real yeah. pop song stuff and yeah. the other thing too was that um, Eddie and Alex's dad was a, a clarinet player mm, he was mm. a jazz player and there's a recording of him um, playing and um you know, he was really... In fact, he, play. He's, yeah, on, yeah. he's on a Van Halen That's album. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, get, they finally get him on a Van That's Halen right. album. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You know, so he was a, a really competent musician. I think he struggled with some of the same things that Eddie struggled with too, yeah. which I think, you know, is, is, is sad. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so he grew up in, in a really musical household. You know, obviously they um, came out to America when they were really little, but they were both, he and his brother, for those who aren't familiar with Van Halen, probably... No one's going to be listening to this if they're not. But <laughs> but if there was anyone out there, uh, so Eddie's brother Alex was the drummer in Van yeah. Halen, and um, and they both um, started out learning piano. Uh, they had to learn piano, and then Eddie started playing drums, and Alex had a guitar. Alex was a little bit older, and he was going out to hang out with his mates. And then when Alex would go, Eddie would jump on his guitar until they finally went. To, I think they went to play some song, and Alex was struggling with the guitar, and he was like, "Oh well, I just have a." You know, and then Alex jumped on the drums and yeah. they never looked back. I said earlier that um, there's some gold in those, uh, on all of the albums, really, and certainly in between um, the first album and 1984, which is the David Lee Roth era of the band, there's magic on all of those albums. And it wasn't until, well, actually the first time in about 2004 when they released that, three or four, they released that Best of Both Worlds comp- double compilation, um, I got paid to do an article going through the whole catalogue and, and interviewed Alex as part of it, which was cool. Um, but I remember getting sent the whole catalogue on CD. That I think they'd been newly remastered. And um, I fell in love with everything between Van Halen and 1984, which I hadn't listened to as much. Mm. Um, let's talk about um, that era. And I'm thinking, like, we should play a bit of Unchained yeah. and talk about that. Would you consider that one of the absolute highlights? I It's... It's just such a huge song, and the guitar sound is just you know, it, it's yeah. I guess the thing with having an album like Van Halen One, it's it's it sets a very high standard, and yet you know something like Unch- there there is a progression. Yeah. Um, it's just such a great riff, and but not just a great riff, a great song. But also they pack. I mean, this is their fourth album, I think. It's nineteen eighty one, so they're basically. As people did, they're just pumping out an album a year, and I know they had they arrived with like a back catalogue to reach into mm. and 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 years of jamming together. But it is quite extraordinary to just look at those and go, oh, okay, I see like 78, 79, 80, 81, 82, bang, you're just mm. gonna you know and fire these things at us. They are like shots from a cannon. Yeah. Um, let's have a bit of a listen to one of those shots fired from that cannon, and uh, we'll come back and talk a bit about it. Yeah, what a song! What yeah. a set! What a, what a sound! Yeah, amazing. You know? like, so the, he 
was tuned down to drop D, which is where you take the E string, the thickest string on the guitar, and lower the pitch of it to D, so he gets that chugging thing going on. And and then, you know, it took, I, I never really kind of clocked it until, you know, a few years into listening to Van Halen. It's like, there's always something happening with his sound. So he, he'd use... Um, he'd use, you know, um, an MXR phaser or a, a, a flange pedal. So that sort of, that um, jet sort of sound going there is a flange pedal. But it was always done in such a way that it, like, it didn't feel like, oh, he's turned on something. It's like it, it was, you know, the whole thing of serving the song, which I guess was what he did mm. all the way through. But just adds to the, you know, excitement and the and the gravity of, of um, you know, what he's, what he's doing. But just huge, you know, playing that song crazy yeah yeah and so they yeah they so they pump the stuff out and you know again for us at least we are we are hearing this stuff well after it's happened um there will be people listening to this that actually did grow up with these albums and got to know them as they happened but i know women and children first was actually the first album of theirs that i owned so mm. that became us and ju- just from the point of view that a friend around the road his dad had it and i was into the idea of van halen where do i get an album from and i'd heard songs on the radio and i'd seen without a net but someone had an album so that became the album i went out and got because you just copied if you didn't copy it in your stereo you copied it by going out and buying the mm. same one so i went and got a copy of that on tape and that was my first album which had some great stuff on it but uh, yeah, I didn't really know Fair Warning and Diver Down until later on. But 1984 is the really big one mm. because of, well, a few things, but obviously we need to talk about Jump. Mm. Absolutely. Well, that was sort of a pinnacle of sorts in that they, you know, um, they're just a collection of incredibly good songs. And, you know, Jump obviously is sort of the, the peak of that pop meets rock. Yeah, and and it's um, and like Eddie because he was just you know, he wasn't, he was never comfortable just to sort of sit still and obviously, originally being a keyboard player, piano player, mm. um, had all that sort of stuff going on and was um, which totally informs his songwriting yeah. approach in Absolutely. general and musical approach. That's right. So not only can he go back to it, but it's in there even when he's writing on the guitar. And you know, obviously they would have been listening to what's going on. Mm. You know. Um, and there's suddenly the synthesizers available, and you know the guy was a tinkerer, mm, um, mm. is my impression. And, you know whether it be with his playing or with his guitar, because you know he he put together his own Frankenstrat mm. because he wanted a, a humbucker pickup, which is where there's two coils um, within the body of a of a Fender Stratocaster style, style guitar, and Fender Stratocasters generally have single coil pickups in them. And the humbucker normally would be in a less poor and has got a, a, a meatier sort of sound to it. And so he ripped, you know, the uh, took a uh, humbucker out of a less poor and carved a hole in this strat that he had, sprayed it and, and stuck the pickup in. And so in. that's him actually saying on some level, I want a little bit of Jimmy Page and a little bit of Eric Clapton. I want a little bit of, you know, Les Paul and I want a little bit of, you know, something else. Just to, he, all of these things, that you know, that listening, that those big ears you were talking yeah. about, I want to put those right in my toolbox. He had a vision, I think, you know, yeah. clearly, you know, it's like, I guess you can't be that original without having a clear idea of like, this is, you know, where I'm going and I'm, this is the direction I'm heading. And, but he was constantly tinkering and there's like a... Um, he actually got a patent for a device um, 
this might not be such a well-known thing, but basically it's like it's an easel. It's like a, it's a hinge. So there's a bit of wood and then there's a, like a bit, a, a flap that comes out and a bit of wood that comes up under it. And it's on the back of the guitar and he, you, he'd screw it onto the back of the guitar and it would enable the guitar to sit flat so he could tap on it. And I remember seeing the patent for it, you know, I don't think he used it for very long, but yeah. it's just this obscure little fact <laughs> that like he patented this thing, this guitar, like, yeah. you know, platform that, you know, he could use in, in, in performance. But, but the, um, the, 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 um, the perpetual tinkering, 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 I think, you know, he, no doubt, because by that time they were, they, they, they were successful, he'd built a studio at the back of his house, 5150, which is where they did all their recording and rehearsing and jamming, so he obviously got a bunch of synthesizers, was playing around with this sort of stuff, and then those huge chords at the start of 1984 yeah. kick in, and then jump those big block chords where there's really very little guitar apart from the solo. Yeah. Um, and that I think is following on from, and I, I was I just want to jump in here because I feel like you know they they've done their work and built their audience, sure, and they were a big deal band. They were playing big shows, and they had half a dozen or nearly half a dozen albums to their their name. But directly before this, he does wander off and do a cameo on only Michael Jackson's. Uh, biggest or second biggest song on the biggest mm. selling album of all time and that must bring not only was that a, a, a essentially a, a marriage of a of a rock guy and a white rock guy with an r&b pop guy and a black r&b pop guy but that must have taken some pop audience to van halen for their next album and the jump solo and the beat it solo you know they're like cousins mm. <laughs> right yeah no that's a great i'd never really sort of drawn that connection but but that's you know that 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 totally makes sense um what i know about that session is apparently that like you know just called them up and asked them if you do it and, and van halen was like yeah and apparently just turned up with his frankenstrat didn't even have an amp or anything and they just had an sir which is a, yeah. a, a studio in la where they they um hire amps and stuff uh and so there was a rental amp and he just plugged in and did a couple of passes and that was it that is probably was. just a case of Michael Jackson saying, or Quincy Jones saying, uh, or Michael Jones saying, uh, Michael Jackson saying to Quincy Jones, "Get me the best guitarist on the scene right now." It's probably that, yeah. right? Like, yeah. yeah. But it's certainly, you know, I mean, Thriller is such an all timer that it had to have taken, you know, it had to have introduced people yeah. to that weren't listening to rock music. Absolutely. It had to introduce people to what the fuck is this sound? Yeah, yeah. totally. And the funny thing, because. Of that style of guitar playing, you know, Van Halen were, were you know, probably the most accomplished songwriters yes. writing, crafting good solid songs, yeah. which had this virtuosic guitar playing. And there was a massive raft of, of, you know, of bands that perhaps weren't as strong at the yeah. songwriting, yeah. but they had a virtuosic guitar player yeah. who was yeah. very excited about doing his guitar solos, but not as enthusiastic about writing songs. Yeah. And that whole world of that kind of hair sort of thing and, um, Certainly, you know, the people listening to the, you know, uh, Michael Jackson fans wouldn't have been checking much of the, the LA Herox. Sort of no, stuff out. probably not. And, um, uh, and not, I, I see the funny thing, I don't, even David Lee Roth being the way that he was, uh, you know, with all the glam stuff going on, mm. that doesn't, they never felt, Van Halen doesn't feel like part of that sort of scene. No. You know, they, were, they, were, they were there before, they, as I say, they were the, the sort of mid to late 70s when they were sort of kicking in but but it's like just a much bigger picture yeah, than, yeah. than the majority of those other bands um, 
you know. You know, 1984 has a lot of great songs on it, and Panama's obviously uh, became mm. a staple of Van Halen in that it became one of the ones that Sammy Hagar took on over mm. to his time with the band. But um, you were keen to sort of remember and talk about uh, another song from that album. Yeah, yeah, well, it's like it's the whole album, there's just, there's, yeah. there's not a, you know, there's not a doubt on it. No, but in the scheme of instantly recalling things, this yeah. is probably one of the songs that wouldn't get featured as often. Yeah, oh, definitely, it's it's not, not one of the, the first tracks that people think of, but to me it's like, as far as like, a straight ahead rock song with a, just an amazing guitar hook, some great drumming, and it's you know it's it's of its time, you know it's of an era, but it just as far as the 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 groove of it and the and the restraint with it yeah. too, that's the thing with you know again serving the song throughout years playing like the guy could play obviously blindingly fast, but there was plenty of time where he just held back because that's what was required and so you know there's real restraint in this in this track so we're going to listen to a bit of drop dead legs let's have a listen to this now You mentioned that he builds his own studio. They call it Fifty One Fifty. They they call the next album that. They name that because it's basically, and that's where he moves essentially into that world of just, mm. this is my life. I play the guitar in a band named after me and named for me and my brother, and this is what we do. And we just and they and they continued to. I mean, they really pumped stuff out across the nineteen eighties. That was really. I mean, sure, they start in the late seventies. They carry on through the nineties, but the eighties is their decade of dominance. Yeah. Um, what What evolves for him, sort of gear wise, and what's happening for him? Uh, you know, what would people be interested to know about? Um, you, you've already mentioned him, sort of tinkering and building his own guitars and building his own studio and, and incorporating different things. What was yeah. his rig? Well, he he um he's it's always that serving the song sort of thing, you know. Um, so. Again, like just as like Eruption arrived fully formed, you know, the playing people hadn't heard anything like that, but the actual sound of the guitar people hadn't heard anything mm. like that. So, and he, God knows how he came up with the idea of it, but my understanding of, of the way that his, his rig worked was that he, normally, you know, you take an electric guitar and you plug it into an amplifier and the amplifier plugs into a speaker. And um, what he would do, uh, is he would run into a Marshall Plexi and then take the speaker output of that into uh, like a um, resistance load. So instead of a speaker, it'd actually be like a, a, a high watt of resistance. And then you take a, a line out of that at a much lower uh, volume um, and, and um, um, size of the, of the signal and then feed that into another amplifier. And then that would go into... Um, uh, that would often go into a, a like a solid state carbon amplifier, I believe. Um, there's a, there's 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 mm. some obscurity, you know, because he kind of kept this stuff quite close to his. Yeah, um, yeah. Because yeah, he also used um, the Ecoplex, a couple of Ecoplex tape delays, which, you know, everybody in the seventies used those. John Martin, yeah. So yeah. it's a reel to reel. 
Uh, so it's a reel of tape that gets looped around to allow you to get delay effects happening, but they also have a little preamp in them which shapes the sound slightly and it sort of tightens it, so he used those. But he was constantly experimenting, you know, the within the guitarist sort of world and the people that love Van Halen, you know, people have their favourite album, you know, within those first sort of four albums, mm. you know, the word, the word changes in a sort of sound, but you know, the speakers he used, he used JBL speakers instead of um, Celestian, so they were, you know, they were a brighter sort of a sound. The thing with him and his guitar sound, same as Hendrix, albeit they're very different guitar sounds, they're both, you know, for most people to pick them up probably would be quite terrifying. You know, there's a story mm. about Hendrix, um, you know, one of his roadies picking the guitar up and so on, it's feeding back furiously, no one could be quiet. And Hendrix would pick it up and just put his hand over the strings with his left hand, and it'd just be quiet and still. You know, it's like it was it was his. He was at one with the thing, and I think it's the same thing with with Eddie, Eddie Van Halen. Is that you know, and like any great guitar player, really, um, there's no they don't leave anywhere for them to hide. Um, like Eddie's sound was such that there was there was you know there was the, the overdrive was there, so there was this great sustain and singing sort of tone. But it was, you know, very present as well. You know, mm. but it was also warm. It's, it's a, it's a, you know, it, it was called the brown sound, and um, and then you know he that first album inspired you know generations of guitar players trying to get it, and you know the um, my friend George Trips who um, has a pedal company in the states called um, Way Huge, but he also um, designs for MXR and uh, he worked with Eddie on doing a guitar pedal of the 5150 guitar pedal wow. a few years yeah, ago yeah. and um, he gave me one of them and they sound great and he's uh, they, they nailed that sort of sound down as best you can in, mm. in a pedal mm. but it's um, it's a thing I guess with someone like you know who the word genius gets thrown around perhaps too easily um, but you know as far as guitarists go certainly like uh, like just a visionary, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. perhaps a, a, yeah. an unparalleled visionary in that he, you know, obviously there was the virtuosity, there was the, the songwriting, there was the rhythm, there was the tone, there was the working on the guitar, there was the, you know, he just, everything to do with the music, you know, he was constantly looking to, to move forward. He um, had his had his addictions and his difficulties and he was, um, by some accounts... A, a, a tricky customer sometimes as people are and I don't want to get too much into that at all but I feel like it's worth mentioning with regard to the idea of genius that that is perhaps sometimes part of the toll that is paid yeah. well I, I think that you know um, the world we live in now is one where all we see of people that are famous and so on and, and even before this um, the time which we live in now of such immediacy yeah. you know people forget that when you know, when an artist creates something that touches a lot of people, that's you know held up as um, universally loved, that that's that's the facet of them that we've got, yes, yeah. and that um, you know that um, all the rest of them we know nothing about, yeah, yeah, and, and we're all, we're really not supposed to. No, I think. And, and I think that's the thing is it's yeah. like you know. There's this, this fixation about finding out more about people's this and that and so on. And obviously yeah. human beings are curious creatures. But, yeah. but you know, I, you know, most people don't get a chance to meet these people, aren't interacting with these people. They're never going to be part of the same, 
you know, it's not going to be part of the, your, your social sort of group. No. So you, you don't have any point of reference other well, than Also, the if you are, if you are on your way to meet them through some luck, generally, or, th- or through some reason, you generally have an inflated, unrealistic expectation of what that encounter is going to be like. So it, it quite possibly isn't going to go as well as you thought, um, which might account for some of the, oh, tricky customer sort of story. Yeah. You I, know, there's a bit of that too. I think I think in the end, I think it's really simple um, that, you know, as music lovers and talking specifically about musicians, it's like if someone creates something that's um, brilliant yeah. and and um, you know improves your life and gives you uh, yeah. a soundtrack to you know experience joy and you know grief or whatever you know through it then that's what it is you know yeah, yeah. and and, and totally. wanting more is like you know yeah. and the, the reality is that um, you know a lot of people struggle with um, yep. with challenges and you know I, I, I wouldn't want to get into any of that to be honest because yeah. um, you know, as I say, I, I I didn't meet him personally, but but had friends that were friends with him and so on, and so there's a little uh, awareness. But in the end, it's like, man, there's just this body of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what's really important. And and also, you know, I've I've heard some phenomenal stories about him being incredibly gracious and yes, generous and of course. kind. In fact, the people that I know that know him only have lovely um, things yeah, to say. Yeah, so yeah. I can't comment about any of that other than just. I think the bottom line's got to be the body of work yes. that before Eddie Van Halen, no one played guitar like that. And when Eddie and now Van Halen plenty of people have tried. did that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that first album onwards, people, it changed people, yeah. the way that people did that. And so David Lee Roth leaves the band, Sammy Hagar comes in, and there are people who switched off from the band because of that. We, of course, discovered the band ultimately through that. So we share a fondness for the the mm. Sammy Hagar era, Van as Hager. well as, yeah, yeah Van yeah. Hagar, as well as the David Lee Roth era. Um, so we like that. Um, 5150 is, a, I think, a really strong album, 5150. Um, OU812, okay, not as good, but some good stuff on it. And then, and so through those, they logically follow on from 1984 in terms of having more keyboard stuff. Also, you've got Sammy Hagar can play the guitar mm. as well. So, you know... Um, so obviously he wants to fit some of that in there and some of his own songs and some of his songwriting contributions. So Eddie started thinking about some other stuff. When um, For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge comes out in the very early 90s, it feels like a little bit like a return to let's make a proper rock record. Like, yes, there's some great, beautiful balladry on there. I mean, um, right now is a strong piece. But, but the riffs are back and the um, experimentation and exploration is back. And I remember watching them on the MTV Awards debuting uh, Pound Cake and thinking, this is strange all of a sudden because Metallica were the big, big draw hard rock metal band by then. And Nirvana had come along and Kurt Cobain had basically overnight um, squashed the idea of technique and tone, well, tone, but uh, relevant to his thing. Virtuosity virtuosity is what he had actually squashed. Whether that was what he planned to do or not, I'm not sure, but still a great focus on song. And I felt like Eddie was restaking his claim as this great guitar hero at a time when... um, Maybe not everyone even wanted that, but I think he did. But, he, but I think he did a good job of it. I think the thing with with them, like I said before, is that that whole you know that 
the whole genre of, of stuff that came out, the kind of glam hair rock mm. stuff that came out of the States, particularly the West Coast in the 80s, um, that, you know, in, in many ways, you know, grunge was kind of a reaction to. It does, you know, I never felt that Van Halen was part of that. No. You know? And the other thing too, and, and, and growing up in New Zealand, like we, Van Halen was never very huge here. Like no, the, that's the, true. The, um, you know, there were people, generally guitar players or music fans, you know, that are really into that sort of stuff that, that you know, found it and gravitated towards it. But but it's it was never like a massive thing. Whereas in the States, you know, Van Halen were just... Oh, yeah. Massive. Just yeah. huge. Yeah. And so I think the thing is they had such a momentum and they delivered such a body of work that it, it wasn't going to necessarily topple, you know. Um, it was more... You know, obviously there was discord that occurred, um, which ultimately ended up with Sammy Hager uh, leaving. Mm. Um, but I think that was more internal than as a result of grunge coming along. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the thing is, uh, you know, uh, good music's good music. Yeah, and so the well, all of the rest of the band, um, but certainly the Van Halen brothers are as as driving forces musically in it, um, and they do. Great work on those 90s albums. Well, particularly mm. um, Carnal Knowledge and Balance. Mm. There's some great stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, the Van Halen 3 is obviously, really is the dud of the catalogue, it has to be said. There's, there's no surprise there in saying that. That's the album with Gary Sharon on vocals. Yeah. But some of us um, have some sort of silly fondness for it because that's the album where we got to see them yeah. in little old New Zealand Wellington that's we right, got to see and you and I went to the same show yeah. and that's the only time you got to see them yeah. and it's the only time I got to see them yeah. and you know it was pretty fucking cool it yeah. was pretty good it was you me and my brother and James Lord and we all went along there and yeah I remember um, I remember Festive really clearly I remember we were all on Eddie's side of the stage mm. uh, I remember Eddie had these um Green, or I think, yeah, there were these green Doc Martin shoes. He was just like a, he was a little guy, like you know, mm, when you mm. see often, you know, but it was just, it was this sort of thing. It's like, this is this person that I've seen in, in magazines and, and you know, videos and all this sort of stuff. There he is, and, um, and, um, you know, he was, he was great. I remember Alex had like a neck brace on. That's right. Yes. Because he'd, yes. um, he'd heard his, he'd done some neck yeah. some years beforehand with, you know, I think yeah. it was a, a major life changer for him yes but it troubled him um and so he had the neck brace on but yeah and uh, you know gary sharon was um well he was better live than on record yeah uh, is what it I was just a, it was a strange it was, it was a strange, strange thing but it's like as you say we got to see them play yeah and um uh you know michael anthony on um yeah um on 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 bass still and i always say was it the best version of van halen no was it the one that was available to us yes so yeah. so you go yeah you go and we did and i'm glad we did and also in a recorded sense that is the end of van halen for a long long time mm. so the, a, a song trickles out here and there a new compilation you know comes out and they might do a song for mm. the end of it but for a decade mm. they are pretty silent yeah well it wasn't till uh, you know a, a, a different um yeah different truth yeah which is 2012 and which is built from the parts of some old old songs some of them are, are yeah you know, right pre back. predate the first album and but it's, yeah it, it's funny too when that came out like there was various people sort of being mixed sort of i liked I, it I, a I lot to, I, I was like i, I can't you know it, it really was a return to form and oh, yeah i had friends that were sort of you know when they were recording that in la 
uh, a couple of friends of mine was probably just some of the stuff going on and it was just you know people were saying wow this is really yeah. you know um, I just remember writing reviewing it and going where's the effect of is this better than I thought a Van Halen album might be in 2012? Yes, it is. Like, yeah. is, is, is this yeah. as good as a Van Halen album could get right now? I think it is. And of course, you know, the with um, Michael Anthony being removed, you know, mm. rejected from the band, uh, e- ejected, um, and uh, Eddie putting his son Wolfgang in there, you know, people sort of, you know, because you always got the impression that Michael Anthony was a pretty nice guy, and, mm. you know, and few few fans I, I sort of guess felt a, that was a little bit you know but yes. you can also understand it the band's called Van Halen and the other the other thing is I, I listened to the bass playing on that I was like man that's that's it's thunderous mm. you know mm. there's, there's, there's no slouch there but then again if you're Eddie Van Halen's son and you're going to play bass yeah. in his band you probably need to need to be it. pretty good you, you need know, to, you need to like bring that. your A game he's not going to be like, it's a G not a yeah. D <laughs> <laughs> so I mean that takes us through the catalogue but they actually you know, it'll be interesting, and obviously it's far too soon to talk about this, but but there is an extraordinary amount of unreleased Van Halen material, and in fact people now can already go to YouTube and find, and other places, and find loads and loads of, you know, varying quality bootleg demos, and the, as the band reworked some of those demos for Different Truth, but it is likely we'll see more material. That does tend to happen sometime after the passing of someone. It's very early to speculate on it but you know are you looking forward to hearing more from the band in whatever capacity they offer in terms of from the archives uh-huh. from more from Eddie yeah eventually for sure you know obviously yeah. it sort of just sort of sitting with 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 where it's sort of at you know learning this morning that what had happened and just really reflecting um but I'm sure and I guess all I would hope would be um that you know, and I imagine that um, that his son would be the person who would actually, you know, so it would be some time before anything comes out. But it would be nice to think that if anything came out, that it would be something that would have, you know, um, that his his son would be the you know custodian of or yes. would would would, would the um, executive the custodian, yeah. you know, would be the curator of yes. as it were because. You know the, the the material because you know obviously we both know of, of artists who've who've died and um, and then just uh, a litany of stuff that really shouldn't come out. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just think you know for for now it's that thing of just reflecting on on that legacy and then and yeah and, and then I'm sure things will come forward and and um, uh, but you know obviously the, mm. anyone who'd be turning their mind to that to the, who's involved in that would yes. be. And also there's uh, more than enough great stuff that he gave us. There's more than enough stuff to hear. And and it becomes a time to go back and listen to not just your favourites, but those lesser things, the the, the album tracks you never focused on before. Maybe the album that you thought was the weakest, you'll suddenly find um, something really quite magical about it, right? That does happen with people. I imagine imagine this is a great case of that. People, guitarists particularly, wanting to just delve even deeper into this and going well actually there's some extraordinary playing here that I had somehow skipped over mm. well it's you know it's been a very long time since someone in the electric rock guitar yes. world of that standing has yes. you know there was the, probably the last person to pass away you know was, was perhaps you know, of that level uh, would probably be Steve Ray Vaughan 
yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously Prince no slouch as a guitarist, oh, but we don't certainly. think of him as pr- as just a guitar player. Exactly. And so, but I was going to say that that's probably the last yeah. super significant guitarist. Yeah. And then he was a few other things as well. And I think I think the thing is too is that in, in the same way with um, you know, with someone like Bowie passing as mm. well, which you know there was profoundly sad thing for for a lot of us and mm. that because of the energy which we experienced of someone like Bowie throughout his career was just so mm. you know um bold and vivid and alive and vibrant mm. you know it's like and, and particularly with Bowie and the the, the uh, latter portion of his career before he sort of went yes. into retirement um just such a vital man, you know. And well, so, yeah, a and, creator yeah. and and so overtly a fan yeah. of of many cultural things. Yeah, just yeah. a very alive you know, human being. Everyone and, knew he was a reader. Everyone yeah. knew that he was name dropping things he liked in music and co- seeking collaboration. And, yeah. and I think the thing, the interesting thing to draw a parallel of sorts is that you know Bowie was a frontman. Bowie was articulate yeah. verbally uh, and and with you know was was very comfortable in that form. Whereas you know. Um, Eddie played his guitar. That's how he expressed himself. That's how himself. he spoke. <laughs> exactly, and you can see his joy in in in, in clips of him mm. playing. You can see that there's just this this bliss, and um, you know I think that um, that's part of why that people have held him in such high regard is that when he he was just one of those rare people that when they pick up the instrument. Everything just happens, you know. It, it's um, yeah, it's a transcending sort of a thing, and and I guess you know the, the idea that that supernatural power uh, is no longer here in the form that it was, mm. uh, but or it's it's a, the, the the experience of Eddie Van Halen's life has, has reached a close. It makes it a finite thing that there won't be any more. There's a, there's you know. A, a lot of sadness in that, but there's also more so than that. There's a you know, it's an opportunity for gratitude. You know, for I think for, for I know for me, like I, I I do feel sad, um, but also it's like man, I I I was around at the time. Yeah. I got to see you got to see play. him actually play in front I've, of you. I've spent a bit of time uh, some years ago working on some of his things and sort yeah. of fumbling through hot for teacher and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Enough to get a real appreciation for like the the virtuosity of the guy. Yes. And and also this whole community of people where there's you know today online with friends and messenger and so on. It's like all these people were all all connected because of like the love of, of this guy of, of the art that this guy created and um, you know and it is a hard thing to take that, that, that person's no longer here um, that there won't be any more music from him that he'll be creating but but also the gratitude for you know man imagine if Eddie Van Halen hadn't come along yeah. you know something else would have happened something there, else would have happened but, but it wouldn't have been that isn't, isn't it cool that what he did happen yeah, yeah. well um this was a nice thing to do, and uh, it feels like a good place to to um, just leave it for right, yeah. for right now. <laughs>